We were uh, last week. I was in San Antonio for a uh, for a professional conference. I was telling Mike about it just a second ago. It it is as stuffy a conference as it sounds like. It was the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature annual conference. That is what it sounds like. Um, <clears throat> but the uh, it was in San Antonio, so it was only a two-hour drive, and the deals on books were pretty great. And those books are books that turn into classes and you know, sermons and things like that. So we um, I got a lot of good stuff. Got to see some old friends. Got to connect with some guys. So it was a good time to uh, good time to go and hear some good sessions. But anyway, it's good to be back. Good to uh, good to be back from the Thanksgiving coma. Although I might not have made it this morning. Apparently, I'm a little sleep deprived and uh, missed the third step from the top, tumbled all the way down the stairs, and now we have a nice shoulder-sized hole in our wall <laughs> at the base of the stairs. I'm here, a couple of ibuprofen in, I think I'll be okay, but um, after class, talk to me if you are proficient at patching drywall, <laughs> because it really is, <laughs> it really is that way. And um, what was funny was when Linnea came around the corner and saw that it was me, she was almost relieved that it wasn't one of the boys. It's like, oh, it's the sturdiest, heaviest person in the house. He'll be okay. <laughs> but anyway, appreciate Robert filling in last week. We are continuing our series on exploring our strange Bible. And we're going to dig into the question of exactly how do we read the Bible? We talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. And so I am titling this class, We Should Take the Bible Seriously, But Not Always Literally. We should take the Bible seriously, but not always literally. All right. Years ago, I was working with a youth group when a well-meaning adult volunteer said the following... The Bible is literal truth. The Bible is literal truth. All right, now before we move on, let me ask a question. What does the word literal mean? What does the word literal mean? No room for interpretation? No room for interpretation? Word, for word. word for word, yeah. What does the word literal mean? Just in general, what does the word literal mean? Did you say actual? Actual, corresponding to reality, right? Y'all want to know something frustrating? <laughs> the um, kids, t kids today, right? Am I right? Kids today, yeah. The um, the word literal has gotten to be used in a non-literal way, so that now mainly kids will be will say something like. I was so embarrassed, I literally died. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> and that's, that's unfortunate, because words ought to mean things. And they, they can't mean just whatever we want them to mean. The word literal, right, means something like corresponding to reality. It's not figurative. It's not metaphorical. All right, so let me now back up to our statement that this well-meaning volunteer with the youth group said, the Bible is literal truth. Do you agree 
the Bible is literal truth? Or is there some room for nuance there? What do you think? Randall. Good questions. Yeah. How does uh, how does everybody feel with Randall's assessment there? Pretty good. Yeah. All right. Ralph, what do you think? I was going to say the message within each passage is true. True, in that sense. Yes. Sometimes how we apply it though might not always be literal. Its statements are literally true when the authors intend them to be literally true. Right. But I don't think, I think saying, I think saying the Bible is literally true doesn't adequately take into account the variety of ways of writing that make up the Bible. Yeah. So, there are statements in the Bible as... Randall correctly alluded to that are clearly not intended to be taken literally. I used this example briefly a couple of weeks ago, but it's appropriate to return to it. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Again, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, let's read verses 13 through 16. Pretty straightforward. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and that's gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Okay, this might be a silly question, but for the sake of what we're doing, follow me here. Does Jesus literally mean you are salt? Obviously not. Does he literally mean that you are light? No. Especially not after Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) Okay, let me ask this question. Might seem silly, but let's dig into this. Why not? Why doesn't Jesus literally mean those things? What do you think? He's just making a point, right? Yeah. Yeah. What would happen if we were to try to press Jesus' words to be literal? What would the result be? Lot's wife. What? <laughs> Lot's wife. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's that's true. Yeah. Loses value. What'd you say? It'd be a joke. It'd be nonsensical, right? Yeah. And we use the, we use similar kind of terms these days. Uh, the more more recent uh, slang to call someone salty. What does it mean when you call someone salty, when they're being salty? A little rough around the edges. Yeah, a little little abrasive. Yeah, a little abrasive. We're called to be the salt of the earth. 
not the salty of the earth, okay? <laughs> Keep that in check every time you, you've got that, that, uh, that killer strike on Facebook, I'm gonna get them. It's like, eh, maybe Jesus didn't call you to be that. Yeah, salt and light. To press these statements literally would be to force Jesus to mean something. You try to force Jesus' words to mean something nonsensical, if not impossible. Okay. Still in Matthew 5, let's turn or scroll down to chapter 5, verse 29. Again, we alluded to these a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to return to them. I'm glad we got the soft carpet on the stairs. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. <clears throat> if your right eye causes you to sin... Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. I am not going to ask for a show of eyes and hands, <laughs> but a quick glance looks like everybody has at least all four of those. All right. Does Jesus literally mean you are to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand? No. Why not? Ooh, Gavin made a good point. He said that's not where sin comes from. If you were really going to deal with the, the root of sin in your life, what body part would you need to cut out? Your brain. <laughs> I don't think Jesus is, what's the word for removing, removing a brain? Lobotomy? That's, that's the word I was looking for, yeah. Or mummification. Right. Jesus isn't asking you to do that. Also, can't a blind, so Jesus is, uh, uh, when, he, uh, when he says here, he's talking about lust in these verses. Look at Matthew five twenty-seven. so just a couple of verses up. Uh, and Actually, verse 28. Jesus is speaking primarily to men. Now, this issue applies universally, but Jesus is speaking primarily to men when he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so Jesus is speaking primarily to, um, <clears throat> to men here. Can't a blind man still lust? Yeah, okay. So, the point then is not to deal with these outward things but rather, right, to deal radically with sin. A key to identifying metaphors and figurative statements in the Bible is this. If the statement taken literally, like in some of these kinds of passages that we've seen, if this statement were taken literally, it would be either nonsensical or impossible. And so again, the point that I really want to drive home with us today is this. Given these examples above, strict literalism is not always how God expects us to follow his word, but he does expect us to follow his word seriously to take it seriously. Some people ha might have missed this at different points in the history of Christianity, 
But I think the main thing that Jesus is really looking at here, let's uh, take another example. Jesus uh, gets asked by one of his followers, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? 490, right? Isn't that Jesus' answer? The, the disciple comes up to him and says, seven times? Oh, he probably thinks he's being really generous, right? <laughs> seven times? Wow, so righteous. What does Jesus respond? Not seven times, but, well, do the math. A total of 490 times. Again, is Jesus, have you really forgiven somebody? If you're just counting off all the times to where you no longer have to forgive them, is that forgiveness? You're on your 489th time, buddy. One more and you're donezo. Okay, come on. Really? Is that really what God intends? Again, no. Strict literalism is not always. Here's another good example. We've, I've mentioned this in, uh, I think, one of the times that I taught ac across the hallway for David's class last semester. Does something have to be... How did I word that? How did I phrase that? Can something be scientifically false but still true? Can something be scientifically false but still true? Randall, a scientist weighs in on this. Thank you, sir. Exactly. Scientifically false. Demonstrably so. Despite... Exactly. Scientifically false. Astronomically false. Metaphorically true. Based on our... Uh, any Star Wars fans? From a certain point of view. <laughs> that's how it looks. Let me... Okay, again, a silly example here. All right? A silly example. But again, work with me. Is Jesus biologically a lamb... No, right, okay, the question is so silly, let me ask again. Was Jesus, in terms of biology, was Jesus a lamb? No, right. Is Jesus the lamb of God? Okay, we see how this works. The Bible is true, God's word is true. Is God's word literal truth? Sometimes. And sometimes it's metaphorical truth. But that doesn't make it less true. Science has its many great advantages and benefits. Science is not God. And there are some things that simply science cannot weigh in on. Randall, is that fair? Yeah. Can you, one example I've used in the past, can you use the, the procedures of scientific observation to determine or quantify the love that a husband has for his wife or parents have for their child. You can observe some things, right? But can you measure? Can you quantify? Not, not especially, not very well. And genuine love looks different sometimes. Remember class I taught uh, back in the summer 
on the, you know, the five love languages. Sometimes love looks like loading and unloading the dishwasher. Sometimes love looks like a warm embrace. Sometimes love looks like a kind word. What do you say? I said a whack to the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, depending on, uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions we can ask about the context of that. Right. But no, that's, uh, that is the idea there, that science has its role. But there is you know, other th things, and people have communicated this way you know, forever. And so I think it's appropriate for us to, again, look at Scripture and realize, man, there are times when it is a literal truth. And some of the ways that we can help determine when it's speaking l literally is to ask ourselves some questions. Here's a good example. When we look at the Gospels, and we see the Gospels report the bodily resurrection of Jesus, is that intended to be taken literally true? Yes. Absolutely. So when it speaks of things, though, it follows them up with examples, right? So it says Christ was resurrected. Thomas put his hands through the wounds. Exactly. He was physically there. Yeah. Exactly. Not just a spiritual resurrection where Jesus lives on in your heart like Santa Claus does come December, right? That's not it. Literally true. He sits there and he eats with them. They see him. They grab him. Mary Magdalene holds on to him. All right. So we can ask ourselves some questions, and, and here's a series of questions that it, if you're in the habit of, of writing down or like notes or things like this in, in class, let me encourage you to do that because I've got a series of questions that I'm going to briefly work through here, and that will, get us, uh, that will get us through today. So the first question, to help, you under, help us take the Bible seriously, not necessarily always literally, but to help take it seriously, when you first sit down to read or study any part of the Bible, let me encourage yourself to ask uh, these few questions before you begin. As some of these questions you might just already kind of know, and that's, that's fine. But the very first question, when you sit down to read any part of the Bible to really study it, ask yourself this question, what kind of text am I reading? What kind of text am I reading? What are, what are some, some of the different kinds of literature we see in the Bible? Somebody, let's, let's share them out. History? History? Poetry? Personal letters? Personal letters. Biography. biography. Thank you. That's my favorite Bible student. I wrote my dissertation on biographies. Uh, so anyway, yeah, history, biography, poetry, personal letters. Anything else? There's more? Prophecy, yeah. Apocalypse? What, instructions? Very true, yeah. There's all kinds, right? Stuff that we call generally wisdom literature, yeah? And again, if you've, um, here's, here's a good example. Um, does anybody in here have any, any family or friends or connection with, um, with Native American tribes or, or First Nations folks? Do we have any connection with that? If you, if you sit and listen to, uh, to, to some wisdom shared in those contexts, it, will sound, it should remind you somewhat of some of the things that you might see 
in the Old Testament. There's a, different, there's a different way of viewing the world that is maybe closer to some of that than, what, than some things that might have come out of Europe. But there's wisdom, there's prophecy, apocalypse, history, biography, poetry, songs, all kinds of things. All right, so different categories of works in the Bible, like different genres. All right? Genre just means like a category, right? There's all different kinds of genres of music represented in the vinyl music group that I know some of our folks here are part of. Vinyl Music Life Group. Different genres bring different expectations for the audience. Do you read a poem the same way you read a newspaper article? No, right? Do you read a funny meme or a picture on Facebook the same way you read the Bible? I hope not. <laughs> okay. All right, so. What was it? Oh, okay, yeah. Maybe in a different translation. Different. So ask yourself this question. What kind of text am I reading? Am I reading the Psalms? Or am I reading the Gospel of Matthew? Am I reading the book of Revelation? Or am I reading Proverbs? Different genres of literature, different types of literature, have different expectations. And those matter for how we understand what's going on in these kinds of texts. Next, ask yourself this question. What is happening within the text? Take, for example, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 18 that Mark preached on this morning. Really understand what is going on here. What is Paul saying in this message? Is he happy? Is he sad? Is he concerned? Is he angry? Is it uh, just general comments about things? Is he giving instructions? Understand what is happening within the text. Then take another step back a little bit and ask yourself what is happening around the text. What's happening around the text? You saw Mark do that in his sermon. Mark did a great job of demonstrating live and in living color uh, this morning what I'm teaching you now. Mark started with what kind of text we were reading. Well, he gave us a letter, 2 Timothy. Then he told us about what was happening in the text. He told us what was in 2 Timothy verse 4, chapter 4, verse 18. Then he stepped back right, and gave us some context. Started back in chapter 4, verse 9. And so that way he wouldn't just say, he wouldn't just you know, pull those verses out of his back pocket and say, okay, look, here, here we go. I've got my, my sign from Hobby Lobby stuck right here. I know, the plans I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Mark actually gave us some context. These are final instructions to Timothy, right? Some final remarks about some things that maybe some other people have done or didn't do. And some final instructions. Here's, here's, here are, here's some people that have hurt me and here's some people that I, I need for my ministry because they're helpful for me. So what kind of text am I reading? What's happening in the text? What's happening around the text? Fourth question that I think is, uh, is useful for us is to ask, what is happening behind 
the text? What's happening behind the text? Again, think about Mark's sermon. He gave us this great discussion of a certain Roman emperor. Does anybody remember that emperor's name? Nero. What, what, did, what happened during Nero's reign that he eventually blamed on Christians? Great fire of Rome, which kicked off the first major international persecution of Christians that had happened during the Roman Empire. There was sporadic persecution here and there. The Christians got kicked out of their synagogues, as we read in the book of Acts. But the first kind of widespread, multi-regional, and it didn't last forever. These things were sporadic. But this happened, and that is, as best we can tell, this is probably when Peter and, and Paul and maybe many others of these first generations of Christians might have died for their faith. And so in that context that we don't see in the actual letter of 2 Timothy, but looking back, we can kind of piece together, this is, this is almost certainly what was happening in Paul's life. He was right near the end. And this is what I mean by when I say what's happening behind the text. What's going on in the history? How does that help us see what's going on here? The last question... And I want to ask, in good Church of Christ fashion, I've given us five steps for how to read the Bible. <laughs> what is happening in front of the text? What is the text asking me to do? How should I respond based on what I read? Am I being called to be more gracious? Am I being called to repent of sin? Am I being called to finally muster up the courage to invite my coworker either to church or to something really non-threatening like our Monday night football group in the youth room? It's a men's group. And it was, Justin Campbell was absolutely brilliant to put this together. Y'all remember Justin, our youth minister? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now he's just somebody I used to know. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Put this group together. It's a men's group, Monday nights at one of our life groups, Monday night football. Turn the TV on, kick off, watch the game until halftime, TV goes off, and we have a devotional until we end the devotional. If we open up you know, at the kickoff, the third quarter, great. If we open up at the beginning of the fourth quarter, so be it. We read a short, we've had a couple of y'all join us, short devotional, that it usually ends up getting into you know, some real things. We've had guys there from, uh, from Ron all the way down to uh, some of our middle school boys join us. It's a text that I'm reading urging me to finally muster up the courage to invite my neighbor or co-worker over to something as non-threatening as that. Okay. So five questions, and I'll review these again. If you need these, I'll tell you what, since we got in super late last night, I will make a handout of this and then bring them next week. I'll bring them next week. Yes, sir. When I actually read the 
I've added one. Yeah. And that is, how often is the concept repeated in other places mm. in the scripture? That's good. Uh, because that's kind of a test whether it was, you know, uh, this was this particular set of circumstances, this thing was said. So, uh, yeah. So, how, how often is that concept? Yeah. Can we can we look at the can we look at the end of the New Testament and look all the way through to the beginning of the Old Testament and see this theme pops up time and again? That might be something important. Yeah, Robert, that's a good one. That's a good one. So let me review these five questions. I'll bring uh, I'll I'll bring a handout for these. What kind of text am I reading? What's happening within the text? What's happening around the text? What's happening behind the text? Think historical circumstances. And then lastly, what's happening in front of the text? What's happening in front of the text? Let me wrap up with these two things. I think we might get out early for the first time ever, and ever I've taught a Bible class. (laughs) I don't expect every one of us to do this process perfectly. And as Robert just rightly mentioned, there are other questions that you could ask. There are other ways that you could look at this. What I'm modeling for you is one way that I typically read Bible verses. Now some of the stuff I've, I just kind of, I don't have to always ask myself these questions because I've been fortunate enough to study this. But they're always kind of there. And like I said, you saw Mark model this process. And he and I didn't talk about this. Maybe it's providential. But he saw, you saw him model this process. So I don't, I don't expect every one of us to do this pro- process perfectly. You know, despite advanced degrees, I can't answer all of these questions perfectly. One of the reasons why I went to my conference in San Antonio last week it's because there's still things to say about historical circumstances. What did so-and-so mean when they said this? How do we understand what's going on in here? There's still those questions being asked and being answered. Still, though, I think it's important for us to work together as a body of believers and read Scripture together as a body of believers. Seeking God trusting His Spirit to guide us into knowledge, faith, hope, and love. So that's the first thing. I don't, do, I don't expect every one of us to do this process perfectly. The second thing is this. There are some, some inexpensive and helpful tools available to you to learn how to do some of this and to learn how to answer some of these questions. I'm going to give you two of them. I'm going to tell you about two of them right now and then we'll wrap up. The first one, how many of you have heard of this group called Bible Project? Show of hands, Bible Project. I've been listening to these guys for several years now. They're based uh, out of the Northwest somewhere. They, they do a really good job of taking whole books of the Bible and they have these nice animated videos that run you through books as long as Genesis 
and as short as you know, John's letters. And they run you through, okay, here's, here's, what Paul's, here's why Paul starts with this, and he talks about these things, and there's all kinds of cool little animations. I highly recommend their website, I think it's just bibleproject.com, and if, if you're not too, uh, not too worried about getting onto YouTube, there's a lot of trash on there, but there's a lot of really good stuff too, find their channel on YouTube. And again, it's just called Bible Project. And you know you've gotten the right one. If their logo is, is a blue circle and it has, a, has like a, a, a white kind of speech bubble on it that looks like a, look like a Bible is opened up. Bible Project. Their series called the Read Scripture series is this series that I'm talking about that has these different videos on them that help you understand a book of the Bible. Anytime I teach a new book of the Bible, back in February, I started a class on First and Second Peter. I sat down and I watched those videos just to get a bird's eye view. All right, here's what's going on. Make sure that I pick up on these themes that are repeated. Make sure that I pick up on these allusions to the Old Testament, something that I might miss. That's something that's really helpful. The other thing, too, is this. And again, and I'll, I'll mention all of this stuff. I'll have all this stuff on the handout that I'm bringing next week. There's a publisher called InterVarsity Press. InterVarsity is spelled one word, I-N-T-E-R. InterVarsity, like you made the varsity team. InterVarsity Press. It's abbreviated IVP. They have a couple of really great tools called the Bible Background Commentaries. They have one on the Old Testament, and they have one on the New Testament. I, every time I prepare any kind of class where we're working through a, a particular set of verses, or when I am preparing a sermon, and I've got several verses to work through, I look at either the New Testament Bible background commentary or the Old Testament Bible background commentary without fail every time just to help me make sure I'm understanding All right, what's going on back here. So if you want to write down or pull up on Amazon IVP Bible background commentary it is what it sounds like Bible background commentary I, I told uh, I told Mark about these uh, several months ago, and he liked them so much that he got hard copies for himself and for the other ministers on staff. <coughs> IVP Bible Background Commentaries. Again, there's one on the Old Testament, one on the New Testament. They make great gifts under the tree. Yeah? <laughs> Anybody? I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring a hard copy of it next week to show you, and I'll have these on these handouts. But those are some inexpensive and helpful tools that can really clear some things up as you're reading through these texts and understanding, okay, what was going on here? Why, does, why on earth would Paul mention something weird like covering your head in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Why would it matter for women to do that? Well, in the Bible background commentary on the New Testament, the author there goes into that. Not into as much detail as he would in an academic presentation, but he goes into good detail about it. I know the author personally. 
He was the guy that I wrote my dissertation for. I highly recommend it. Bible background commentary on the New Testament. The one on the Old Testament is pretty good as well, too. We are going to get out with a minute and a half to spare. Check that out. It was almost worth falling down the stairs. <laughs> Guys, thank you all so much. Appreciate it, and I'll have a handout next week.